Welcome to episode 15 of Around the League. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Nav. What's going on, baby? Not much, man. Let's do this thing. Let's get right into it. Who do we got in the bi- in the building today? So we have a very, very special guest uh, on our show today. My assistant coach for two YBA championships, uh, an Ottawa GG's super fan, and a hater of the Ancaster Mill. Dan, what's up, boy? What's up, fellas? <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. You know, uh, in the words of Jermaine Dupree, I just had to come and get a piece of this ATL style. So... <laughs> <laughs> So, Dayon, you've talked me off many ledges throughout the playoffs. Diehard Raptors fan. It's good to have you, man. i got a question for you. What are your thoughts overall on the, the playoff product that the NBA has put out this year? Um, the 8C plan was a success. Lucas buzzer beater. The Nuggets, come, the Nuggets are the comeback kids. Milwaukee and Clippers are out. Miami's emergence. We had sprinkle in a little boycott. <laughs> what are your thoughts? What's going on? How are you liking the NBA playoffs so far? Um, I would say this was probably the best case scenario for the NBA in terms of the bubble, the product that they've created and what they've been able to incubate there in Orlando. Um, if you so look at outside from like a business perspective, their product compared to any other um, professional sports league right now that has come back in the midst of this pandemic, I think they're by far top top of the league. They've been able to keep everyone in there. No cases. Every, everything is still in check and the product has been fantastic. I personally was a little bit skeptical as to how everything would look, but I think it's fantastic even without fans. For the basketball purists like us, we just enjoy the, the ball straight up. We have new camera angles. I don't care to see too many fans close by. I know it takes a bit away from the atmosphere and all that, but I think the product has been fantastic. Yeah, man, like it's really nice to get together with you guys and like watch playoff basketball again. You know, it feels like the old days, last six months were definitely dark, not ideal. And it's been awesome just getting to watch basketball again, flipping through channels, watching different games. Um, Feels normal. Yeah. As close to normal as it can be. What do you think, Tuan? Yeah, no, it's been a huge success um, outside of the... The Raptors elimination, everything's been really good. We, we're we seeing kind of something different, especially in the Eastern Conference Final. I think this is the first year in 20, 30 years where a number one or number two seed hasn't been in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think that says a lot about what the bubble um, is kind of holding for all these players. They have to have like a mental aspect of it, of being strong there, not being around their family, and then just playing straight basketball for every other day. Yeah. So I think the stronger team definitely came out of the um, of the the second round and we ha- we're seeing a great battle between Miami and Boston right now. Yeah, man. So, like, picture this. What do you think the NBA takes away from this lesson or this experience? And what do you think, if anything, do you think anything changes in the future with a the playoff format or maybe putting less emphasis on home court advantage? Because, honestly, one of the things I think is beautiful about this is how neutral the playing field is without home court advantage. I think a lot of the spontaneity that we're seeing is due to, um, you know, the extra points that a home team can get by having home court advantage. But what's what's the point of having a regular season if you're not battling for to being a top four seed and then also getting that first or second seed so you can get that home court advantage yeah, totally. throughout the playoffs? Yeah. Because the Bucks probably win that series if they, even if they lose one game at home, they get a chance again to... Um, battle it out in game five, game seven. Same with the Raptors. I think, again, they lost every whatever a home game, per se, um, in the bubble. And I think they have one of the best uh, home crowds in the league based on you know the last few years. So I think the, ch- the s- series changes a little bit. Obviously, on a neutral site, you get really the best best team on that, on that day or on that week or on that month. But a home court advantage can definitely change the tide of a series if you know you win two games or you lose two games at home. Mm-hmm. I think that the it's been perfect given the circumstances and what they take from it depends on what this new normal becomes um, from the pandemic situation. So I, I definitely think the NBA needs to have fans in the stands. They need to be back in their arenas filling up those things because that's, that's half the entertainment. You want to have the crowd behind the teams. The teams need that themselves. 
obviously from a purist perspective, like we can see things going back and forth. There's a lot of swings here because really it's just you, a couple of babies and your baby mamas like cheering you on in the stands, right? There's very little, you have to, and your teammates getting you up for it. So I think they have to go back to eventually, hopefully having fans back in the stands. But one of the things that I do want them to take away from this bubble environment is giving the players more space um, where they're sitting on the benches, you know, like back in the day, we're just trying to maximize every dollar per square foot in the arena. We have 15 between six foot five and seven foot five NBA players scrunched together on a single bench. Like they're a YBA team. Um, I love the the way that they've given them more space. They look like um, English, English premier league uh, soccer players. Everyone has their own like race car seat to themselves they maximize the space like they're huge give them more space like why do they have to be like pressed up against one another yeah that's such a good point um i personally one takeaway i like the intimacy between uh but just between the players uh, on the bench and on the court and you can you can feel the trash talk um it seems a bit more a bit more intimate um and there's been a lot of banter throughout the playoffs you know with uh, the damian lillards paul george's um, even when you watch Laker games, like you can just see Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee acting a fool. And it just feels like you can see the players are just a little bit more connected in this environment, which I think enhances the game experience. Yeah, I like that sure. aspect of camaraderie too. That's, yeah, that's a great point. Well, let's transition into uh, some hoops, some, some playoff series, because last podcast, Juan and I covered a little bit of Boston-Miami and our thoughts. But, um, you know, we're two games into that series. And... We were just talking about and marveling at how Miami was able to figure out their chemistry so quickly, um, given the fact that they made some changes just before the season ended, and then they jumped into the bubble and they hit their stride immediately. So, what are your thoughts on Boston, Miami, and are you in, have you been watching that series? Are you enjoying it? Um, so, I guess I watched a bit of I watched the the first game or at least the the latter part of the first game. So that Adebayo block was incredible. Like if I if I've ever seen anything. Like that, if that was my hand, it would have broken in half and it would have gone through the rim with uh, with Tatum's dunk. Um, so that's incredible strength, great game-saving play. So that was awesome. I didn't catch the second game because I'm kind of like meh about the Eastern Conference since the Raptors lost. So I'm a little uh, heartbroken about that. But um, I, Miami seems to be playing like a fantastic team. Like they're an all-around team. Everyone does their job. Jimmy Butler is not like a ball hog or a black hole like, like some people might have thought he was. Dragic runs the show. Hero and Duncan Robinson are fantastic shooters. Always running, like I saw a clip of Duncan Robinson. He, he looked like Rip Hamilton, the way he was coming off screens to get the ball, to get open and get the ball. And he's he makes every freaking shot. So those people are fantastic. Then you see Adebayo, you got Iguodala as a role player, Jay Crowder as a role player. It's funny to see uh, one of those memes about you know, the, this year Celtics are getting beat, get beaten by the 2017 Celtics with like <laughs> Kelly Olynyk and uh, Jay Crowder on the line. So, I like, I, I don't know. I think Miami appears to be the better team, and I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled this one out. Yeah, Tuan, cut. You're you're a you're a well-known shop blocker in the Kitchener Waterloo area. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what 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 were your thoughts on uh, that final play? What what are your? I know you you've been a big heat proponent. Um, when we were doing hypothetical playoff predictions, man, you you did. I got to give you credit for uh, saying that you know the Heat were going to go far. You get you had them going Game Seven against Milwaukee. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, with the block, um, it reminds me of. It has been mentioned as much as like comparing it to like the LeBron against uh, Iggy block uh, in the finals, but it reminds me of the Amari Stoudemire block on Tim Duncan. If you guys remember that. No. Where he has a huge block, he has like a forty and ten game, and um, he blocks Duncan on a dunk to basically seal the game in uh, the Western Conference Finals, or sorry, in the second round against the Spurs that got them to the Western Conference Finals. And with the the Miami series, man, I think it's much closer than the two zero represents. Um, Celtics were up twelve going into the fourth in Game One. They lost that. Um, Jimmy Butler just kind of willed his team. Um, into OT and then again with that block. And then game two, they're up 17, um, up 13 at half. And yeah, the Celtics just made really careless turnovers. And again, Jimmy Butler made huge defensive plays, like just momentum plays that got the team going. And then Dragic, Dragic has been playing super well. He always plays well, play, plays well against 
uh, the Celtics, and he's kind of been rejuvenated, find, kind of found his role mm-hmm. because Jimmy Butler is not a ball dominant uh, guard. He kind of knows where to fit during the games. Like he can score thirty points for you, but he can also score twelve, lock down the best player, and then give you four, five steals, and just kind of make those huge plays. Where now Draga just finds his role to score twenty, twenty five every game. How the how the young guys come off screens, um, pick and roll with with Bam, and Bam's playing extremely well. He's what. Siakam should have been for the Raptors as like that second, third guy to not only, you know, pick a, or pick a pop to or pick a roll to the towards the rim, cut towards the basket and just kind of have that energy play. Whereas Siakam was, you know, asked to be doing a lot more than he is, where Bam is like, hey, you do your role, you you know, play defense, you great playmaker, so he's making plays for the young guys and he's been doing an outstanding job in his role. So I think that team's just gelling and if they can somehow squeak out this third win then it's basically over so you know it's do or die for the celtics yeah and if miami's able to really taste or smell some blood and able to steal it off then it's going to be exciting to see them in the finals in either denver or the lakers yeah it that's a that's a good point but i find like we'll get into the denver nuggets later but i find that Denver and Miami have a bad habit of digging themselves into holes mm-hmm. and at the moment they're getting themselves out of it but you know fundamentally speaking if you if that's your reputation um, you know it's going to come to bite you in the ass in the long run right I think uh, the bright spot for Boston right now is if they can find a way to squeak out this win they don't play again till Wednesday so yeah. it'll be tonight Wednesday and they get Gordon Haywood Hayward potentially coming back from game 4 so they got to they got to grind this one out Steal a win, otherwise, yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's definitely Miami series, and I saw a stat that said, you know, they've never lost after leading 2-0. So, you know, one of those little uh, twelve-year-old yeah. memes. On Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, for, for better or for worse, every time I see a team go up 2-0, more likely than not, they're going to pull that series out. Same thing with when they're up 3-1. Now we've obviously seen a couple instances in the in these playoffs where. Teams that go up three one collapse yeah. and uh, and don't pull it out, but you know because as we're aware, like the whole three zero. If you go up three zero, it's a done deal, mm-hmm. pretty much. Like historically speaking, it's you're not going to come back from it. And I think it's that demoralizing. So I know we're not there yet, but if if the if Miami does go up three zero, signed, sealed, delivered, they're going straight to the finals. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is another product of the bubble. Is I remember when Cleveland came back three one against Golden State. It was huge. Like. I remember they showed like a stat of like the last time someone came back 3-1. I feel like it's been par for the course in the bubble. And again, I think it's just because of home court advantage. For sure. Yeah, I don't think you can, yeah, even, yeah. We're in the bubble now. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if a team came down. The bubble's bizarre. Because like you said, the 73-9 Golden State Warriors blew a 3-1 lead. And if that can happen, man, like anything can really happen. So we just haven't seen it yet. But if there's ever an instance or a moment in time for a 3-0 you know, a team to be de- or a team that's down zero uh, three in a series that it'd probably be now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I just want to let's get this one out of the way because it's it's going to be emotional. Let's let's make sure it doesn't take up too much time. But uh, I guess in the Eastern Conference Finals, you can agree that we are watching the best two teams in the East, um, just based off bubble play. Um, we're watching the best two teams. Um, they've just been playing well. They've hit their stride, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so the Toronto Raptors, um, you, I guess, you know, they just lost to the Boston Celtics in the semifinals. At no point in that series did you really feel like that team hit their stride. Um, they grinded out wins. They were able to get three and force it to Game 7. Just because of Kyle Lowry, I would say, and um, the coach of the year. You know, they, they got by because of, because of just strategizing on the fly. Um, we know how the season, or we know how that series turned out, so I don't think we really need, really need to dig too deep about it. But just going forward for the Raptors organization, there's a lot of no-brainer moves that they have to make this offseason, but they still have to as- execute those moves. So, uh, what do you think is top priority right now for that organization, and what do you think they need to either add or subtract to put themselves in a similar, better situation next season? So, without getting into details, because I'm not too familiar with like you know salary cap and all that stuff, and I know. Some people are free agents, some are not. Um, keeping it high level, I think the Raptors need to maintain as much of their championship core as they can because you want to keep that culture going. Um, so at a reasonable price, you keep whoever you can. 
to keep this going and to keep building and um, developing that youth that you have. So the Raptors have shown over the past three or four years that they're really good in terms of developing talent. And, you know, the examples have been Siakam and Fred Van Fleet from like the 905 organization where they win a G League championship and they come into the Raptors and transition that into winning an NBA championship. So if you can keep developing that homegrown, not necessarily homegrown, but internal talent and get them up to the ranks because you already have the established people. Like I know Larry's there for another year at least. Um, they have the, Ananobi's still there. Siakam's locked up. You want to re-sign for Van Fleet, hopefully. Ibaka's a free agent. I would ideally want to bring Ibaka back, but I, I think that should be the move. You keep bringing that up um, throughout the ranks. Yeah, there's a lot of things to consider with the Raptors offseason. So, yeah, like Fred Van Vliet, uh, free agent, Serge Ibaka, free agent, Marcus Gasola, free agent. Lowry has one year left on his contract, and Siakam is entering his max contract now. So with even with all the things said about Siakam, he was playing on a rookie contract for the last four, or five, four years, four or five years, which is insane, right? So maximum value there. So yeah, the, the first the first priority is to lock up Fred VanVleet, and honestly, you you're just gonna give him everything he's asking for. Uh, you don't want this to be like a Brogdon type situation where you let him go for nothing. At least you sign him, even if he if you let him play for another year and see where his value is at then, because he's still a very valuable player on a championship team. He's going to get you 17, 18 points a game and be that guy that's going to make you big shots. It was unfortunate that he had to play that second score role in this in the Celtics series because it kind of did show a little bit of his flaws, um, flaws there because he's such a small guard and it's tough for him to um, attack the rim and like shoot two, three feet outside of the three-point line. So if you just put him in the right spots, you put pieces around him, Lowry and Siakam, then I think, you know, Put, put those guys down and pay a little more. Like Siakam, don't make him your first option. Uh, Fred Van don't make him your second second or third scorer. Then those guys will th- thrive in their situations, right? So, And then I know Giannis is also going to be part of the question. Um, and also Masai. Masai hasn't signed his uh, deal yet, so he has one more year as well. And that's going to coincide with Giannis's uh, free agent that's looming in the next year. And I know there's reports that Raptors in Miami are the top two teams that are covering him and that are front runners for his services. So um, we'll see. So there's a lot of questions. Obviously, Masai, we want to get him signed with Nick Nurse, who recently signed a multi-year deal. I'm not sure about the terms and conditions there. Uh, but yeah, we definitely have to get a Baca back in there. I'm not sure how we're going to maneuver signing them, trying to, trying to sign them for like a one-year, one-plus-one or something so that we have flexibility to sign Giannis. But yeah. De- definitely have to throw the bag at Fremont Lead and see where the other pieces fall. Yeah, that, so I just have a hypothetical question. Like, we'll learn a lot about Fred because, you know, we drafted him undrafted. He always came in. He always played the game with the chip on his shoulder. He's starting to get that money. He's starting to do the little bit of Isaiah Thomas, you know, money bag, Instagram signs, bet on yourself, uh, getting that bag, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of guy he is because – there's going to be a conversation in that room between him and Masai about, um, you know, giving him everything that he deserves or wants and then everything that the team needs to give him in order to still have flexibility, right? So if you're Fred, you know, you're going to get the New Yorks and a lot of organizations are going to open their doors and open their open their bank accounts, right? But, you know, do you take a little less to stay in Toronto and be part of a team that you know is so next level compared to other organizations. But I, th- I think that's where you have to find like the similarities between him and Brogdon because Brogdon went and got more money with Indiana and he left a team that probably said, hey, we'll give you five, six million dollars less yeah. than the 80 million dollars million dollars that you're getting from Indiana, but you're going to play with the best player in the world. You're going to be playing with, you know, the, be- the number one team in the league. We saw it this, we saw it last year, we saw it this year and he was a missing piece for them this year. So, and everyone's, you know, coming out now saying, hey, obviously Brogdon was a huge, like, huge mistake not signing him. So I don't think, I don't know, like, especially for a guy like Redman Blake, who's been underpaid his entire career, even though he's undrafted, it doesn't really matter now. He's established himself as a clutch scorer, mm. as a, at least a third option on a championship team, third, fourth option on a championship team. And he can run, run the team, especially with Lowry out this, these last two years, he's been the... That, that floor general that's been kind of 
taking um, lead when Lowry's been out. So he's had a great tracker and track record in terms of wins, great playmaking, and just clutch plays. And I think we need that as a team right now as Lowry gets older, as we don't have a primary scorer that, that we're missing right now. We need someone to kind of like keep us afloat while we evaluate and figure out where we go from here. Yeah. I think it comes down to like your your worth or your value is what someone is willing to pay you. And someone is willing to pay him, you know, 20 some odd million dollars a year, that's his value. I think you have to pay him that if you want to keep him. Like you have, like, it, it, he shouldn't have to take a home a hometown discount. He's earned his worth and he, he deserves to be paid what his fair market value is. Yeah, so. no, definitely. And you know, the one thing that does concern me though is just being a miniature point guard. It You expend so much energy either trying to get to the hoop, everything just becomes a little bit more harder, right? You did see, he was a bit more taxed throughout yeah, throughout sure. the later for stages sure. of the semifinals. Um, so it's just going to be interesting who we pair him, pair him with going forward because Kyle Lowry's got a year left. Yeah. Um, but um, honestly, for me, I'm losing sleep over the Maasai piece. I feel like once we sign him, all the pieces will just fall into place because that guy is, you, you pay him like a player. Yeah, and it doesn't, it also doesn't cap, cap towards the salary cap, so it's just really on MLSC and them just poning up the money to, you know, knowing that he's the best executive in the league by far, and just saying, hey, we're gonna pay you as, you know, as what you're worth. So yeah, I, it's like it, it's it's hard to tell with that one because I I feel like there's other factors as opposed to just the money uh, driving him and the fact that he hasn't really extended that contract. They haven't engaged in those negotiations right now. Who knows what might be coming down the pipe, right? Like, what if he's going to become the commissioner of the Basketball Africa League, for example? Like, I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure there's other options mm-hmm. out there that are, you know, for lack of a better, bigger than basketball for him. Yeah. That, that what scares me with Masai is that he's very mission-driven. Yeah. You know, it'll be about the purpose. It'll be about the overall mission. It'll be yeah. about the impact. And I think that Toronto was a perfect platform for him because in Denver... Um, the it was, it was just a different market, right? Like he did really good things in Denver, but coming to Toronto, such a multicultural city, he was able to really touch in on um, or get touches with with different um, different uh, missions that he wanted, like Bas- Giants of Africa, this and that. It was it was a perfect platform for him, yeah. and and it's fantastic what he's been doing or what he's helped to do, pushing basketball and uh, things beyond basketball on that continent and throughout the world. So power to him. If he wants to leave for something else like that, can't fault him. Yeah. Can't fault him. No, power to him. And it's really cool to see Toronto among the list of teams with just a really strong backbone. Like you got you got the San Antonio Spurs, you got the Miami Heat now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got you got these teams that just sort of their reputation is their culture. And and we've developed that sort of reputation, which is really nice to see. Um, and I want to sort of transition into the Denver Nuggets because I feel like they're sort of becoming that franchise as well. What's their GM's name again? Tim Conley. Tim Conley. This guy is, if you look at his draft record, oh my goodness, this guy is a monster on the dra- in the draft room. Yeah. Even th- think of the people they, they traded away. They've had to <laughs> trade away. Exactly. And yeah. Denver's, it's starting to show like these teams right now are succeeding in the NBA, not based on... Um, money, but based on grassroots approaches to the organization, development, um, drafting guys like Jamal Murray and Jokic. And you were wondering at the time, you know, why did they give Jamal five years, 170? Mm-hmm. They gave him five years, 170 because he's the hardest worker in the room. They gave him five years, 170 because you literally have to peel that guy out of the out of the practice facility because all he wants to do is put up shots. So um, just... Now let's maybe just segue into the Denver Nuggets. Like they're probably one of the bright spots, biggest bright spots right now in the NBA, due to two guys who genuinely enjoy playing with each other on the floor. They play agenda-free basketball. Um, yeah, just give me your thoughts on on the comeback kids. Yeah. So one, I want to make one point on the whole culture thing. Just you know, it's, it's like a slight jab, but I feel like they always, um, you know, the media and people talking about pundits. Uh, are going to brag about the culture when things are going well. No one was talking about the heat culture when Dion Waiters was passing out after uh, overdosing on a gummy on, on a team plane. You know what I mean? And then, then they got released. Like, But but now now that fantastic for them. They've turned it around. Spolster's still a great coach, all that stuff. So their heat culture, power to you. 
Okay, back to the Nuggets. Um, the Nuggets are a fantastic basketball team, similar to the Miamis, the, the Torontos. They play good team basketball. Um, you have a seven foot one center who plays like a point guard um, and, and just is throwing like no look passes <laughs> uh, off from the, from the free throw line extended. Like it's just the stuff that he does is remarkable. Jamal Murray is a fantastic scorer. Uh, they have a lot of complimentary pieces. I think Paul Millsap deserves a lot of credit for being a veteran voice in that locker room. I think he's in the last year of his deal. He's getting paid $30 million, but he's worth every penny for grooming this this young group of talent. Don't forget the MPJs of the world, the Bull Bulls. They have a lot of like, you know, like you're saying, grass, grassroots uh, development like projects that they're that they've taken on. And they got great role players in like the Tory Craigs, Jeremy Grant. Um, Monte Morris, I think they're a very sound team. All Mason or Miles Plumley, one of the Plumleys. Um, I th- love their approach to basketball, and everything is just team oriented, and you can tell that they're having fun. And obviously, they got downsides where you know they don't need to go down 15, 18 points a game to come back. There's things to learn there, but I think they're definitely the future in the Western Conference. Yeah, no. Uh, talking about Tim Conley and the moves that he made. Training a first-round pick to OKC for Jeremy Grant again. That's probably the under um, undervalued move of the offseason because now they have that guy to stop the Kawhis, the LeBrons of the world. Because if you don't have him, like who's guarding the likes of Kawhi in, in that series, right? And still, Kawhi still went off, but he kind of maintained like he just contained him a little bit. And I think with that team right now, again, we, enough has been said about those two two basically superstars on their team, but. They need that third guy to come out somewhere from. It's either got to be Gary Harris, it's got to be uh, Michael Porter Jr., it's got to be one of those guys has to be consistent uh, for for that team to to be a consistent contender in the next three, four, five years. Uh, because if let's say Michael Porter Jr. feels like he's entitled to more shots, he might disrupt that team's chemistry. Gary Harris, who was probably on the same level as Jamar Murray two years ago, I, he was probably the better player and he was probably the the more recognized player. Than Jamal was two years ago. He got some. He got hurt a little bit the last few years, but um, yeah, they just need that third consistent piece because they weren't able to. Uh, well, well, they fell three one in both series because they weren't getting consistent plays between those guys. But then, as we were down three one, they slowly chipped away. Paul Millsap had a big game. Jeremy Grant had a big game. Gary Harris is slowly getting back into it. So if they're able to just find that one guy to be consistent, or even just find one guy to come out big. And have like a career game in the playoffs while Murray and Jokic maintain their their steady level of play, then they do have a chance against the Lakers. It's just, yeah, again, it's not it's not a matchup situation where the Lakers have JaVale McGee, they have Dwight Howard, who's more athletic that and taller than uh, Montrezl Harrell, <laughs> and uh, like Zubats, right? So it's a different matchup, and they also have AD there to help. Um, Defensively, so it's a different monster, but you know they even just from yesterday's game they it was a blow up, but they still have a chance if they just play a little better, um, make less mistakes in the first half because I think that's where they lost it, and then um, yeah they got blown out in the, in the third quarter there. So I think they have a chance, but they just need that third guy to come out um, more consistently or just have a guy to come up big. Um, in these individual games for this series. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the biggest knock on Jamal Murray prior to the playoffs was his inconsistency. Uh, you didn't know what you you didn't know what you're going to get from him. He was a bit of a wild card, but man, this guy is hitting his stride. I mean, consistency has been his the definition of Jamal Murray all playoffs. You know, who would have thought? And it's so sick to see because uh, he's from Kitchener, obviously, um, Canadian boy, and he represents. And just the way him and Jokic play the pick and roll. You know, you got Jamal sort of initiating the pick and roll once in a while. You got Jokic can initiate the pick and roll once in a while. Mm-hmm. It's like poetry watching these guys play. Um, and I say we just take some time and trash the Clippers for a bit because oh, we we, we spent so, we spent so much time talking about organizations. And um, I'm going to say Kawhi Leonard. He might be allergic to to sound strong fundamental organizations because he's left two. To go to the Clippers, and the Clippers were a team that spent everything, leveraged everything, and completely shit the bed. So let's go. Who wants to uh, Who wants to start us off? 
Okay, yeah, so I'm glad we started with praising the Nuggets because what the Nuggets did was fantastic. They dictated everything. They won that series. But as much as they won that series, oh man, did the Clippers do everything to lose it. Okay, I don't know where to start. The organization <laughs> as a whole, like, you're losers for a reason, and you thought you could just change it. First of all, I'll start with coaching because I think a lot of this falls on Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers is a coach who is riding the coattails of a 2008 championship where he had Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen. It's been 12 years since then. He left the Celtics because he didn't want to be a part of a rebuild. The Celtics have been to three conference championships in that time. He's been to zero. Take that in. Wow. Did he get traded to them? He, he got, got traded. traded to the Clippers, right? Traded. Yeah, this guy, okay, this yeah. guy forces a trade like he's yeah, LeBron yeah, or, something, yeah, yeah. or something like that, right? Okay, anyways. Okay, so that's, that's my point one. I, I'm surprised he hasn't resigned yet because he should be, like, they, they, they shouldn't have to fire him. I think he's a well-respected coach. He's, he's a very good um, people leader, at least it seems. He's a good manager of some sorts. He's a good uh, vocal spokesperson for a variety of topics, um, basketball included, but also social injustice, things like that. I think he's a, he's a great person, but I think a lot of the, of the blame falls on Doc Rivers for this thing for this collapse. Secondly, this team has three all defensive, all NBA defensive players in terms of Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Beverly, right? Yeah, I, I yeah, I'd consider him yeah. and, top 15, 20. And then, and then look at their coaching staff. They have, of their coaching staff, they have Doc Rivers, of course, I'll leave him alone now, but then we have Tyron Liu, championship head coach, Sam Cassell, journeyman but still you're you're working your way up to hopefully be a head coach and they have the the guy who looks like rick tockett yeah I mean, rick rex Kalman, yeah rex Kalman, the, 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 the Raptor, former yeah. former raptor co- assistant coach so i would say at least 50 percent of your core coaching staff is very defensive minded and you can't stop this murray Jokic pick and roll you can't you can't stop the the nuggets from coming back and just blowing you out for like sorry, so they won three straight games, but let's not forget the fact that they blew them out in Game Seven. Like that's absolutely embarrassing for a team that has uh, aspirations of a championship and all this hoopla around them. That you get blown out of a of a decisive Game Seven where your star player only manages two points in the second half on one of thirteen shooting. Pandemic P can't even hit the rim on a oh corner three. Like it, it, it's absolutely. Um, it, it, it's not acceptable for a team like that. And if I'm Steve Ballmer, I'm lining them all up and being like, who's quitting first? I thought you were going to say something else. No. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, that's, that's yeah. why I ran for a bit. I can probably, I'm, I got probably more ideas of, you know, what's wrong with Kawhi because why would you leave all this for that? But I'll let someone else speak for a moment. Yeah, the, the, why, the why you leave this for that thing still keeps me up at night. Um, but what I wanted to touch on was that fourth quarter, I, the Clippers, there was so much blank staring. They were, they were looking for a voice. And when Kawhi was with the Raptors, that voice was Nick Nurse and Kyle Lowry. You know, he had that emotional point guard that it wasn't just a wild emotion like Pat Beverly throwing himself all over the place. They, they literally didn't have a leader. And you got a quiet mm-hmm. guard in Paul George. You have an extremely quiet guard in, uh, in Kawhi Leonard. But Doc Rivers, you know, you gotta like, where's where's that voice of leadership? <laughs> like, they they completely discombobulated, and no one wanted to grab that game by the balls. They were just playing hot potato with the basketball. No one knew what to do. Yeah, their most vocal players are like their fourth, fifth, sixth best players. Like, They're clowns. Yeah, like Montrezl Harrell, Patrick Beverly, and even Lou Will. Like those guys that bark a lot, but they're. You know, Cancun, know, one, two, three, yeah. Cancun. Like, man, like, why, why are you saying shit like that? I don't get it. Like, you haven't done anything. Your franchise in the 50 years existed hasn't made the top four, hasn't made a conference finals as a franchise. Like, it's embarrassing for them to even talk shit to the Trailblazers and get involved with that. Um, which, was in, which was, that was hilarious. hilarious. Yeah, which is hilarious. 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 No, no, hilarious. for sure. Uh, repping Portland so hard. that there's, Those guys are so funny. But, um, yeah, it's just... It's especially with man with Lou Will. Remember we're seeing this with the Raptors when he was uh, playing with Demar and with Lowry, and he had great play throughout the regular season. Won six man of the year and just went cold. And you know his style of play doesn't is not compatible with winning basketball in the playoffs because again you need obviously 
a main guy to play and score for you, but then also you need to play team basketball. And you can't have your six man jacking up 15, 20 shots and going, you know, freaking five for 18, five for 19. And that's what he did. He never got into the group, neither did Montresero. But again, it's a good, it's against matchups. Like, Jokic played really well de- defensively against him, just playing straight up because this guy's kind of like a, a wild card where he's going to try to get a rebound and try to jump into you, try to dunk over you. But Denver played a really sound defensive game, and I liked how they they, they were able to stop, stop those two guys. And then, again, Kawhi not being that vocal leader. And like you said, Paul George, again, is not, not very expressive and not that leader either. So... They just didn't have that one guy to push them over over the top. But they were still very close. Let's not forget that they were up 3-1, up 17 in both games. And if one basket goes their way, it's over. But it didn't. So, you know, that's why we're here and that's why we're talking about it. But, again, that team was still very close. I think they kept Doc because they felt like, hey, they, ne- they were never able to get into a rhythm throughout the year because Kawhi with his load management mm, and... Yeah. And, you know, Patrick, Patrick Reverly and Montrose Harrell and Lou Williams were all either injured or outside of the bubble for some time, too. So they were ne- never able to really get all guys onto the same page. And I think that's another uh, thing about the bubble where, hey, you're out for you're out of the bubble for a few days. You had to quarantine and then you're back into it. So I think they just never hit their stride. Um, one thing I want to just mention before I get into what I wanted to say was the Denver Nuggets had a really shaky start to the bubble, too. So many of their players got uh, COVID. A lot of their players weren't even in the bubble. Some of them were in Serbia. Um, so, like, the fact that they've been, they've been able to put, pull this thing together is remarkable in that regard, too. Because they had a really shaky start to all this. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was, like, reflecting back on it, I got to tip my hats off, hat off to the Lakers because they played hard all season because they knew they had to to, to hit their stride in the playoffs. Where... The, the Clippers, it was always about what they were able, what they could potentially accomplish. They, they, you didn't really know, they didn't really have an identity. It was all about like what they were able to do or potentially do because of their talent. And I feel like a lot of the teams that we're watching right now, you know who the, they know who they are. And that really helped Denver at the end of the game. They know who they are. Where the Clippers... Um, like I said, there's just a lot of blank staring. There was a lot of hot potato with the basketball. They they didn't know who to go to, and there was no one vocal enough to direct traffic when they needed it most. Yeah, yeah. they had, they had Jamichael Green yeah. shooting like three shots in the fourth when they needed a bucket. They exactly. were down fourteen, fifteen, and they needed they need to attack the rim or get a three, and they just found Jamichael Green. And I think that may be just the, uh, Denver's game plan to you know. Uh, collapse on the other guys and have Jermichael Green. Yeah, go, go for it. Take all the threes you want, man. Because we know, we know you're not the you're the fifth option on that team. And if you're gonna be out there, you gotta be, you better make that shot. Which they played played it perfectly. So and but the other thing too is like, you know, when you're when you're not playing very well, do you disappear or do you work hard? And like with with the Raptors last year, Kawhi was able to get us through so much. This guy put the entire team on his shoulders, but. You know, our supporting cast didn't always play well, but they always played hard. So despite despite not producing, they were always working extremely hard on the defensive end where I feel like the Clippers, honestly, they disappeared. They literally disappeared. Yeah, I think to your earlier point, Clippers got to the point where they, they thought they could just turn the switch on and off. And you saw flashes of brilliance, but you also saw really bad performances. And they thought they could just turn it on to... <clears throat> excuse me, uh, turn it on to win it, and it didn't come fast enough. And Tuan, I'm thinking of the exact same instances in that game seven where they need a bucket. They're like the 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 lead is ballooning for the uh, for the Nuggets. They put Kawhi back in. As soon as they put Kawhi back in, I'm just like, oh shoot, here he comes. He's gonna bang mm-hmm. a three or something like that. They they run some kind of set, and Jamichael Green shoots a three. Next play down, you got Marcus Morris shooting a three. I'm just like, what is going on? Like, why is Kawhi sitting in the corner? Like, yeah. if that was a, a a different team. That's where I. That's where I'm putting the blame on the coaching staff because you need to run a set. Like you're you're you're, you're famous. Doc Rivers is famous yeah. for the out of timeout sets. Or, or he's saying like, oh, I run a lot of sets that used to run for Paul Pierce in Boston. Where 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 is that set? When you need a bucket, you got to get the ball to to your best player and make him do it. Like make him produce. Right. Put him in the best position to succeed. That's your job. And that didn't happen. And you got you got scrubs shooting threes and and pushing this from like a 13 point lead to a 20 point lead. They were down. 
It was 180 with two minutes left in the game. Like, the fact that you took out Kawhi Leonard and Paul George before the game ended and they're sitting on the bench sulking, like, that's embarrassing, man. Yeah, like, it, it, this, this team had, honestly, like, just in the back of my head, this team had basketball gods written all over it because you had a rich owner that thought he could buy his way to success, leverage it, like, making a move so horrendous as, as, in terms of leveraging your entire future for Paul George. Um, that's that's number one. Number two, these guys were talking so much trash throughout the entire playoffs. And they hadn't accomplished a single thing as of yet. Yeah. And that always comes to bite you in the ass. Yeah, yeah. Um, Even no, earlier in the season, when like yeah, that that one exchange with Beverly and uh, Steph, Steph Curry, Curry in the first game of the season, things like that. Yeah, the last five years were yours. The next five <laughs> years are mine. And Steph's like, aren't you like thirty four? Ah, clowns, man. And and number, uh, I forget what I was going to say for Sorry, number yeah. three, but yeah, it's just like you know, like you're playing with the basketball gods here, and uh, it just came to bite them in the ass. You know, everyone thought that they were going to make it to the finals just based on what they could potentially be when they're hot. And, oh, number three was Markeith Morris. Markeith Morris was being a pest all playoff. And, I, you know, I tip my hat to him because that's why they paid him. They paid him to be that guy that gets under maybe the best player's skin like Luka Doncic. But what I learned is don't mess with Paul Millsap. Yeah, yeah. Because this guy got in his face early. Paul Millsap was sort of quiet. The minute he got in his face, that guy turned it on. Yeah. And he, om- he, he hit a different gear. And it was sick because he came through exactly when they needed him most. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, he's been playing terribly all all playoffs, even all like regular season. Paul, Paul, Paul Millsap hasn't been obviously uh, living up to his thirty million dollar contract. But again, he's always been that like defensive anchor and that glue guy for the Hawks, and that's what Denver expected. And he, mm-hmm. yeah, again, he came out at the right time and was able to get them over that hump. Uh, was it game five? Yeah, I think it's game five, and then. They won game six and then blew them out in game seven. Swimming in the money. Come and find me. But again, this is a lesson learned for for all fans because we always have that idea of, hey, like this team's super strong on paper. Like the 76ers, hey, they're, 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 they look so good on paper. Look at the starting five. But as a team, when you never gel, when you never get to like get that cohesion that you want, um, it, it, sh- it shows in the playoffs. And shows uh, showed last year too with the Boston Celtics when they had – Kyrie and everyone was like, okay, they're they're gonna get together. Like, you know, Kyrie's gonna show up in the playoffs. Uh, Tatum, Brown are gonna show up. But when you don't have that that I don't know that cohesive cohesive team that you uh, that you want, that's what's gonna happen. So look 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 what the Celtics are doing right now. You know, they're in the Eastern Conference Finals with just really one big change, and yeah. probably a downgrade in terms of individual player, but mm-hmm. just a better better player mm-hmm. for that team, right? Just a better leader, better personality, and just a better like type of player for that system. Yeah. Think of the teams that have been successful lately. <clears throat> I know the Golden State Warriors are the prime example of that, but they're just a good team. They were a good team before Kevin Durant came. They had that they were already a championship team. Like Kevin Durant didn't do anything. They helped Kevin Durant. And that's the same argument I would make with the Raptors for Kawhi. for Kawhi Leonard last year. Yep. It, and this goes to show that it's not like oh, Kawhi came and gave the Raptors a championship. Like, And I think that's the high that he was riding on when he made his decision to leave. And this guy had the world on a silver platter for him. I think, in, you know, in hindsight now, you can you can say this because they, they lost, they blew a 3-1 lead, but, like, it probably went to his head. You got, you got helicopters following you around, all this stuff. You bring a championship. There's this huge parade. You can't even go to Niagara Falls to, you know, to see the falls with your family without being ambushed and people wondering what you're doing. Like... He's thinking, oh, wherever I go, I'm a win. I'll pick whatever. Like he, he he picks the the Clippers over the Lakers and the Raptors, the defending champs, and a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis because you want to go. You think you can win wherever you can, and maybe he can. Maybe he can win there, but in hindsight, for this year specifically, it looks like the bad decision. The worst. Decision. Yeah, definitely, and that's the one thing I just you're looking at the teams who are succeeding right now. They they all have that grassroots approach to their player development. Because right now, I think in order to be the pendulum is sort of shifting. Like you can't just splash money and and uh, and just wait, get yourself a championship. Like it takes hard work from an organizational perspective. Like you have to have five, six guys on a team, and like balanced stat sheets are now a thing amongst successful teams. You know, yeah. like look at Miami, look at Boston, look at Toronto, look at San Antonio, um, even even the Lakers. Like the Lakers play pretty good team ball. 
like they Caruso and Markeith Morris. Like I'm surprised at how much these guys are producing. Yeah, well, yeah, because they have LeBron. LeBron yeah. puts it's, it's, LeBron. it's the LeBron effect. It's, it's it, all LeBron. It's, it, yeah. it doesn't matter who you put around LeBron. He's got to make them like everyone better. Whereas Kawhi, yeah. he has gone better in that uh, aspect of his game to like play make and get guys involved. But he's still he's not that that not that at that level at all. LeBron will attack the rim and kick it out, and you're wide open every time. Whereas Kawhi, it might not be the same effect, and it's just a one or two milliseconds slower. But that that gap is what makes, you know, a player who's a Caruso-type player or a Kuzma-type player get wide-open shots, and they're fringe players, but if you're wide open, you're going to make those shots. Yeah, we were at Wildcraft last night. Just We were watching the Lakers and the Nuggets game, and I'm, and I'm just watching, like, Dwight Howard succeed, and I'm watching Kuzma and Caruso just hit these baseline threes, and I, and I was saying, I was like, LeBron, just he'll just put you in spots. All you have to do when you play with LeBron is have the ability to make shots, and if you can do that... He'll be happy, and the yeah. team will succeed. Yeah, it's it's one of the 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 dilemmas of LeBron because he's so good that he's been able to to do things like go to whatever team whatever team he goes to. Sure, he'll maneuver and get pieces around him, but he's the core. Like he's the reason the the the, the Cavaliers were even a threat and won that championship to the uh, to the Warriors, right? Mm-hmm. And then you make other people think other other superstars think that they can do the same thing. Like the Kawhi Leonard's, I'm curious to see. I like they they got a write off this year, but what the Brooklyn Nets look like next year with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? I wouldn't be like betting my house that they're going to be championship contenders right away. No, not at all. Yeah, that's why they signed Steve Nash to like four or five year yeah. uh, contract because it's going to be like a work in progress. Exactly. Especially when those guys come off injuries, and those guys are again not like great playmakers. They're great scorers, so you got to find complementary players. You're not going to have Spencer Dinwiddie and Lavert, like those guys are definitely not good. like you don't want those guys on your team when you have those two guys already. Like you need to find spot up shooters and another backup playmaker, primary ball handler to go with that team. So that's going to be on Sean Marks and then Steve Nash again. I think Steve, how you Steve Nash is huge for that team because again he has that mindset of hey team ball, get everyone involved, get your team teammates involved, get them going. And he's a perfect coach for them. I'm super excited to see where they go. Mm-hmm. Like th- that that hiring is huge, yes. regardless of all the controversy behind it. Yeah. But um, yeah, great hire by by the Brooklyn Nets. And if yeah, if they're able to put the pieces around those two guys, and those two guys are even at eighty percent, ninety percent, they they do have a good chance. But yeah. again, the East is up and coming. Like you said, the Raptors, Celtics, um, Heat. Those guys are going to be contending for a while. Well, that's the thing, because those teams have the continuity, and we just spent so much time talking about how chemistry is so important right now in the NBA, right? So you got a team with two superstars, sure, but we saw what that ha- what happened in the Western Conference with that situation, right? Yeah. So it's all about continuity, man. This, this this balanced style of basketball that we're seeing right now in the NBA, it's pure. It's so nice. It should be. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's actually a recipe for success, and more teams need it. Um, Back to Steve Nash, I think interpersonally he's perfect too. Yeah. Like he's the type of guy that would take a back seat, let his assistant coaches maybe run the show if need be for certain plays. Yeah. And the type of guy that's not going to, he'll put his ego at the door when it comes to managing Kyrie and Kevin Durant. So yeah, I'm super excited for that. Yeah. Fantastic hire. Yeah. Yeah, man. So we got the, what do we have tonight? Miami Boston? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Miami Boston today, and then they have a three, three game or three day break between games. But um, yeah, we should talk about all NBA teams as uh, that was recently announced, and yesterday's MVP um, announcement as well. So I could even just kind of get this going. So, what are your thoughts on the MVP announcement that Giannis, you know, won won that award over LeBron um, yesterday? Yeah, I, I want to hear your your guys' thoughts because honestly, I was thinking about that that uh, that award, and you know, obviously, the Milwaukee Bucks steamrolled over the entire NBA all regular season. But just given the pause in the season, it was longer than an off season. So then we returned to the bubble, and I it's recency bias because mm-hmm. I'm watching I'm watching Giannis in the yeah. bubble, and Milwaukee mm-hmm. was honestly a disappointment. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, I kind of. I mean, I, I applaud him. I love Giannis. I love his approach to the game and how hard he works. Don't get me wrong. But I just, 
I'm thinking about like LeBron a little bit more because of that recency bias in the bubble. Yeah, yeah sorry. I, I think the the league. I don't know. I don't know why they changed it from announcing it earlier, like in the first round, and now waiting waiting it out till like now they have like new NBA award show which they had last year that they waited out till the end of the end of the playoffs, and now they announced it in the the conference finals. So that's been lingering a little. Uh, and yeah, it's definitely recency bias. Like Giannis definitely had. The better regular season yep. uh, than LeBron, and that's no question. I don't think there's any question to that at all. He dominated. I think he averaged like 30 and 13 in like under 30 minutes, uh, and his team had the best record in the NBA. So, and he won Defensive Player of the Year. So he let's, it. let's not even like that's not even a question. I don't you know honestly don't you know why LeBron got like really any votes? Like, like this guy should have won really should have won unanimously, unanimously based on regular season play. Totally. And also taking the fact, like, LeBron has an all-NBA first-team teammate. Like, Anthony Davis is just as important to that team yeah. as, as LeBron. Right? Yeah, when was the last time that was even a thing where two guys are both on the first team? Like Shaq and Kobe? Or, like, LeBron, were LeBron and Wade? I can't or probably remember. Katie and Curry, I'm thinking. You don't think... Uh, Either way, that's insane. Yeah. That sets you up for success no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but then, so, to, to argue for Giannis... He's all NBA. Then who else would be nothing? Like they're not even close. Like Chris Middleton, maybe third team, just because their team was that good. But so one thing about Chris Middleton, he should have been uh, third team all NBA, even based off of off a of vote. So you know how they vote on positions, so guard, forwards, or centers. So he got votes for guard and for forward. So he had like that 80, so he had eighty five, um, so eighty two points, and. Uh, Russell Westbrook had 61, but since he didn't get enough votes per like position, yeah. he didn't make it. That's, that's so that's so yeah you know, so yeah that's, that's what happened. So again, well, Russell Westbrook shouldn't be an All NBA player. Like he played well. Like yeah, he did. January, like Christmas and he onwards, had stretch. He had but he also had like a well. terrible yeah. stretch in the beginning of the year. So I don't think he's not deserving at all. That that should have went to Middleton based on again based on regular yeah. season accolades and uh, performance. Again, he. Shot the ball extremely well. Again, he was he was very close to being part of the 50-40-90 club. Um, and again, having the best regular season record, he should have just been um, voted as uh, at least an all third or all uh, NBA third team. What do you what was what do you think the biggest bright spot of the of the announcement was based on the three teams? I, I think for me, it was definitely seeing uh, Luca get the respect that he deserves there. Yeah. Um, you know, he's leading a, a really young team um, into the seventh spot. And I think he showed um, the world his skills and his talent um, in, in, the, uh, in the first round there. And I think, honestly, it's awesome to see Pascal get the second team, even though, again, with, with his performance in the playoffs, it sucked. But we have to reflect back on that regular season that he had. He really took um, ownership of that first um being that first option for that team when they needed it, especially with all the injuries they had throughout the year and then having the second-best record in in the East. And, you know, unfortunate for him, he had a really, really terrible series against the Celtics, but he's only he's he's going into his max contract now. So now I think is when you should be able to evaluate and criticize him for, for his play because, you know, we know what he's able to do and if you're able to put just better pieces around him and put him in a better position because he's not that number one option and I don't think he will ever be that number one option but if you're able to yeah just move around some pieces and put him in the best spots I think that's where he's going to thrive and you know maybe he's never going to be able to get to this level of play or get this uh, type of accolade ever again but being considered technically a top 10 player in the NBA for a guy that was picked 27th you know, in the G League, uh, work his way up. You know, yep. um, you know all all respects to him, and I I'm confident that he's gonna be a better player next year. Either it be you know a first option, second option, just whatever option, he's gonna be better. And I think we can finally um, really see what he's able capable of doing next year in the four or five seasons afterwards. That's totally fair. I agree with that. Like your your the first point, my biggest takeaway, like what blew me away was this again, Luka Doncic. Second year in the league, first team All NBA. That is remarkable. Like, like that is remarkable. Like, and look at the people that he's beside: Giannis, LeBron, Harden, and Anthony Davis. That is 
something else. So that's my biggest takeaway from this. My second one, aside from uh, what Tuan just went with uh, Siakam, the hometown thing, Chris Paul. You got to give Chris Paul his accolades. Second team All-NBA at 35 years old. You're pretty much traded um, away from a team that's trying to contend to one that was supposed to, before this, be a bit of a rebuild where they traded away both their top two players. And you will them to, what was it, the sixth seed? Or the, the, yeah, the sixth seed in the, in the West? Like, Chris Paul deserves a lot, a lot of respect, and I think he's earning that with this uh, second-team All-NBA uh, selection. Yeah, no, absolutely. Chris Paul was my bright spot as well. Um, I think that second team All NBA, you know, the first team's the first team. I'm so happy for Luka Doncic, but I'm so proud of that second team All NBA right there. You know, you see Pascal Siakam and his story, just everything that he's done, everything that he's gone through, and just to be such a shining star for our organization, regardless of how we played in the playoffs, there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to bounce back. Yeah. And um, honestly, I. Can't say I've watched too much Nikola Jokic just because of the Western Conference time of time of games. Um, you don't really catch it; you just see highlights. And I was mesmerized watching that guy play. Like I was, it was hypnotizing watching this guy throw no lookers and faking me out while I was watching. I was I was saying yesterday, there's there's a few players in the league that sort of fake you out. Chris Paul's one of them, actually. The ability to just dish and you don't know where he's looking. Uh, Luka Doncic has that, but for a seven footer who's slower than every single person on the floor, to have that ability to um, make last-second last decisions that shift the defense or, you know, magic-like passing. Yeah, he's, he's something else, and he makes me want to drink two liters of Coca-Cola a day <laughs> and just, like, ride in like, one of those, like, horse wagons or whatever. How about, that, uh, how about that reverse over-the-head over the pass to Jamal Murray just to twist the knife on the Clippers? I can't get that out of my head. Literally, like, garbage time, less than 30 <laughs> seconds left. Gives him a pass, yeah, and he does that. Well, yeah. that one play, uh, the same play, Patrick Beverly almost, like, kills Jamal. Like, yeah, what are you yeah. saying? Yeah. Like, well, they shouldn't have been on the floor. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, but... Yeah, I would just, be a little pissed off too. If something happened to him, that would have been really shitty, especially with that type of performance and after everything that they've been able to accomplish. So yeah, I think just lastly, I wanted to point out. I'm not just saying this as a homer, but I really would have liked to see Kyle Lowry in that guard position for either Ben Simmons, yeah, or uh, Russell Westbrook. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, he was hurt throughout the year, though. He, I think, played enough games to actually make the All Star game, obviously, but. Um, one player that I'd probably pick over him probably Bradley Beal and I know this award mm-hmm. is based off of or like a big part of it is how your team performs and obviously the Wizards did not have a great regular season and playing without Beal I think he kept him afloat for as long as possible even they they still made the bubble right so um, you know he averaged like 30 points per game he's playing at a, another level really and I'm interested to see where the Wizards are because Remember when the Wizards swept the Raptors and you thought one team was going one direction and the other team was going the other? Um, it's funny to see how the Raptors were able to keep their team intact and obviously win a championship and still you know, contend 4-1. And now the Wizards are a team where they've overpaid Bradley Beal and uh, John Wall and they're kind of going in the opposite direction. And it's you know they, they really don't have any... Um, foundation to that team right now, especially with John Wall being such a big question mark with his injuries and his contract. So, yeah, it's going to be fun to see where that team goes. Like, Scott Brooks is still their coach, right? So, yeah, yeah I'm not... I'm, yeah, I don't even know who, like, their third, fourth best player is, like, Rui Hachimuri and, like, <laughs> fucking... Who's, who's the other, like, Bryant guy? Uh, Tom, is it Thomas Bryant? Yeah, Thomas Bryant. Like, is he, like, the second, third best player? So, yeah, they're kind of... Um, a funny team to obviously not even care about anymore, but yeah, uh, yeah, we'll see what, what happens to them. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be interesting. I think one of the one of the biggest saving graces and one of the things I give Masai so much credit for was when he inherited that team. He didn't just he didn't just sell off the farm, you know. He he respected what they had, even though they were you know a disappointment. He respected what was there, and he let it ride for as long as it could have. Yeah, because that that was that we were able to create a winning culture, even even though we didn't get to where we wanted to be, especially being like a number one seed, a number one two, a two seed, getting swept by the Cavs in the second round, you know, getting destroyed four two in the conference finals. It's like little building blocks 
like we're, like the whole theme of this conversation has been just culture and built like building up your team from you know ground zero yes, and the raptors from 2012 2013 onwards always made the playoffs oh we're spoiled oh, as fans you know, man we you are know, spoiled you, as lo- fans. you lose to well, the, we live through it too like you, you know you lose to the nets in game seven you get swept by uh washington like you play tight series against the the pacers you play tight series against milwaukee nothing's ever easy yeah. but it just builds on your confidence that you know you're a good team you're always going to be competing and then I think that evolution from 2013 all the way up to 2020 is what you're seeing of Kyle Lowry now because that guy was known as like you know a choke like a choker in the playoffs. Him and Demar never performing um, at their regular season level, and now he's kind of like you know portrayed as a hero. We want to build a statue for him, and it's all because of you know the last two 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 three years, but it's accumulation of the last seven eight years that we've been able to you know trade for this guy stick with them even though there's trade rumors you know going to the nets go oh, sorry going to the knicks and all that stuff but we kept him groomed him up to be the leader of this team and we've been able to put him the perfect position you know he was he was he wasn't the primary option not even the secondary option he was the third option on the championship team and that's where he thrived and now you know we're going to celebrate his career for the rest of like our lives really so yeah no absolutely and i think another takeaway too is you know, we talk about culture and we talk about this this uh, winning DNA that a lot of these teams have. Another thing to mention is you got to be really careful as a GM in an organization who you decide to give the keys to. Yep. Because a lot of these teams we're talking about right now, Jimmy Butler, I have so much respect for that guy because I thought he was cancerous in the locker room. I thought he was a black hole. I really questioned what that guy was about. And the more that I watch him and the more that you look at these stat sheets from the Miami Heat... This guy in Game 5 versus the Milwaukee Bucks had under 10 shots. And he definitely just allows the rest of his team to flourish um, just by being... But he's the leader. You know, Mm -hmm. he's the leader. So as an organization, you got to be really choosy about who you give the keys to. The Golden State Warriors, they gave it to Steph Curry. Players love Steph Curry, you know. And Boston learned the hard way by bringing in Kyrie. And they thought that they could give him the keys to the car. If you'll have me... (laughs) no he was the worst yeah. thing that happened to them yeah <laughs> now you're right you're right and once that, that team was removed all the guys fell into place to where they needed to be they let Tatum the guy that you know um, who should have been the number one guy and they should have developed him from right from the bat or right off the get go he's playing at superstar level Tatum oh, Tatum's is, sick sorry even uh, uh, Brown yeah Brown sorry yeah. Brown's Playing really well, and Kemba's. Just, I feel like he's just so new to this type of high-level basketball that he's yeah. trying to find his groove. Like he never was able to get his uh, rhythm in the Raptors series. They play that box and one on, on him, and the Heat are playing a zone too. And he, he played well game two, but he was struggling game one. So it'd be interesting to see today if he's able to kind of get that going um, and you know see where where this team goes. Yeah, predictions for this game today: Who wins? I'm going to say Boston. Yeah, I think it's Boston. I think so, too. I think they, especially with the healing match they had in the locker room uh, after the Game 2 loss with, with Smart basically reaming out that team, I think they, they come out strong. But again, don't, don't count out the Heat. They could be down 20 and still yeah. somehow find a way to win with all those sharpshooters around Butler and uh, Dragic. So I thought reporters couldn't go inside the locker rooms. Or I, think I think they heard, I heard, they heard it from the outside. Come on. Yeah, yeah they heard it from the outside. Oh, my gosh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear about Jimmy Butler's coffee company that he started in the bubble? Yeah. yeah. Big, big, big Face, face Coffee. Charges That's $20 fun. a cup no matter what size. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, no, good times, good times. What are you getting up to today, Dan? What's new with you? Uh, nothing. I'm probably just going to go do some studying after this. And, uh, what are you studying for? Uh, my like next, next exam in December. True. Tuan, what about you? I got a wedding in three weeks that I have to oh, yeah. prep for. So, yeah, we have the window photo booth, WNDW. PB at gmail.com. Uh, uh, yeah, no, we have a uh, photo booth uh, event, um, an outdoor wedding in three weeks. So I'm just prepping for that. We haven't had one since COVID hit because all of our weddings have been pushed back um, either to later this year or to 2021. So we get bit, it's going to be nice to get back into that to that uh, rhythm again. 
Yeah, man. And it's a good weekend. We got the U.S. Open, a lot of football, got a basketball game. Um, I'm going to need one of you guys to help me fill out a pro line. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I'm, I'm like me? I'm lukewarm <laughs> football player, like football fan. Yeah. So like, if I got a pro line and some money on the line, it just makes the games a lot yeah, more uh, for sure, a lot more interesting, right? Any any sports bets, Tuan, that have worked in your favor? Are you still uh, no, leaking I'm, money? No, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I lost twenty bucks at Dej uh, the oh, other yeah. day. She made a risk free investment. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I'll definitely help you out with those those pro line uh, t- uh, picks. But no, I haven't won anything in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Except okay, actually, you know I beat. Beat, beat your ass in the uh, the Utah bet. Got oh, that? Shit. Yeah. Forgot. Mike Connolly was like <laughs> two inches away from making that making that a completely different outcome. Actually, to answer your question, that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to accept both those e transfers you guys sent me. The one for the the, the first Clippers uh, Mav series. I still haven't accepted it. You haven't Nav? accepted it? No, Nav. I don't. Yeah, those are going to expire, man. No, no, don't worry. I'll get a second uh, warning before it expires. And then Tuan sent me one this week for the the Denver uh, Clippers. Yeah, I, so. I hope you like that security question. Oh wow, yeah, you won that Denver Clippers bet. Yeah, remember? That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, of course. Yeah, if you don't. And seven point spread too. Seven point spread. Should have been 27. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I know. Good times. Now you just got work. Yeah, I'm s- starting with... The open sign turns on in like 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Then uh, work till 4. So, dude, it was awesome having you on. we got to do this again. Yeah, no, we'll definitely have you on. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. We will uh, we'll be back on soon. Peace. Peace.